Good day and welcome to May 5th. We are on day 124 of Bible in a Year with Bill. Today we're going to continue in Romans. We're going to read chapters 4 and 5. And then we're going to finish off today's reading by completing Proverbs chapter 20, verses 16 to 30. So let's get right into it. The Book of Romans, chapter 4. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God. By God. Sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for, Abra for him that Abraham was declared fit before God? Now think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? That's right, before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he had embraced with his whole life. And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, and yet unidentified as gods, in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision, not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them, the way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. That famous promise God gave Abraham, that he and his children would possess possess the earth, was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. 
This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way, and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be assured to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He's not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life. With a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, You're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, It's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. Romans chapter 5 By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancies such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrived, arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummated blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. 
If, when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in, first sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So this death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into it, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides? Here it is in a nutshell. Just one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death. Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Proverbs chapter 20 verses 16 to 30. Hold tight to collateral on any loan to a stranger. Beware of accepting what a transient has pawned. Stolen bread tastes sweet, but soon your mouth is full of gravel. Form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out using all the help you can get. Gossips can't keep secrets, so never confide in blabbermouths. Anyone who curses father and mother extinguishes light and exists benighted. A bonanza at the beginning is no guarantee of blessing at the end. Don't ever say, I'll get you for that. Wait for God. He'll settle the store. score. 
God hates cheating in the marketplace. Rigged scales are an outrage. The very steps we take come from God. Otherwise, how would we know where we're going? An impulsive vow is a trap. Later, you'll wish you could get out of it. After careful scrutiny, a wise leader makes a clean sweep of rebels and dolts. God is in charge of human life, watching and examining us inside and out. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. Youth may be admired for vigor, but gray hair gives prestige to old age. A good thrashing purges evil. Punishment goes deep within us. We are saved by good works, but it's not our own good works. It's by the finished works of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He is the one who fulfilled the law in our place. He is the one who bore the curse of the law in our place upon the cross. He is the one who interceded on our behalf as he was nailed to the cross and bore our sin. We are saved by works, but it's not our works. It's by the works of Jesus Christ in his sinless life and his death in our place. It's not by good works. Paul appeals to Abraham in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He appeals to David in verses 6 through 8. It's as if Paul wants us to know the entire Bible is united on this. This is unmistakable. This reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. No matter how hard I work, how much I help out at church, the number of babies I kiss, or orphans I house, or widows I take care of, nothing will make me more saved than the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and allowed Him to take the burdens of my sin from me. This is the part of believing that unbelievers find so hard to believe. Salvation is a free gift. There are no strings attached. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his incomparably great love for us, and you will be saved. Simple, right? Yes and no. This is where faith comes in. This is where we need to look to the faith of Abraham. Why? Because he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Thank you for being here with me today on Bible in a Year with Bill. I pray that each one of you would feel the love and peace that only comes in knowing our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll be here tomorrow, same time, same place. I hope you'll join me. Take care now.